Greetings, family and friend. Good to see all of you today. Today, we like to continue our journey on the book of Genesis, and it covers two personalities today, Abraham and Isaac. Now, last week, pop quiz. Pastor Anthony covered the high point in Abraham's life, which is the cutting of a covenant between God and Abraham. Now, how many stages of covenant making did Pastor Anthony mention? Six, right? Six, right? Six, right? I like. Yes, it's seven, which is the topic for today, lying. We will consider the low point of Abraham's life, his lies, as well as that of Isaac. Come, let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, the passages that are covering together are three separate episodes and it was at different time and many years apart. You can use the phrase, same, same, but different. Okay. The first two episodes involves Aram or Abraham and Sarai, Sarah, with the Pharaoh. The next one with Abimelech, king of Gerar. The third involves Isaac and Rebekah with another Abimelech, this time the king of the Philistine. There is one common theme for these three episodes, and you have probably guessed it right now, calling their wife's sister. Since the passages are rather long, I will read certain portion. The first one, Genesis 12, 10-20. Verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, so Aram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. When the Egyptians sees you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, for they will, and they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that is, it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Aram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful, and when the prince of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to the Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Verse 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abraham's wife. So the Pharaoh called Abraham and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me she is your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her to for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Second passage, Genesis 20, verse 1 to 18. Verse 1. From there, Abraham sojourned towards the territory of Negev and lived between Kadesh and Sur, and he sojourned in Gerar. Verse 2. And Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, She is my sis sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Verse 8. Jump it. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech 
called Abraham and said, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought and you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done me this thing that ought not to be done. That's the second passage. Third one, Genesis 26, 6 to 11. So Isaac sat there in Gerar. When the man of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She's my sister. For they feared to say, say, For he feared to say, My wife, thinking, Lest the man of this place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of Palestine, looked out of the window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech, called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have laid with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people and saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife, shall surely be put to death. This is the word of God. Three different times, one may ask if there is indeed a theme that may have, we have not observed during our casual reading of these passages. These passages raise three questions. Of one, why did they lie? Two, didn't Abraham learn from his first episode? Three, how is it Isaac got into such a similar situation with his dad? And four, worse, how is it that Abraham and Isaac lie and still got away with it? Well, when I was given the verses today, I was thinking, what's they to say? Several speakers as past and in the future would have covered the main theme, which goes something like this, like father, like son, but ultimately God's will will be fulfilled. However, today, I would like to look at the passages from an angle, through Abraham and Isaac's eyes, rather than from the conclusion that we have already known, that God will ultimately, uh, promise will be fulfilled, despite human failing. What else can we tease from these passages? Is there another way of looking at this episode, especially on how, how the main, main characters did not seem to suffer the penalties or loss during this occasion. More importantly, what lessons can we learn and apply in our life? The, the, the title for today's sharing is Abraham and Isaac getting away with lies, or did they? We are often told the context and appreciation of cultural situation are important, essential to understanding why certain character acted the way they did. We, we also like to see the big picture where all the important events are lined up like lies and how they link to one another within the whole narrative. So today, I'd like to introduce a term, a new term, chiasm, also called chiasmus. This is a literary device in which a sequence of ideas is presented and then repeated in reverse. Okay, this device is for an audience primarily that learns through listening rather than reading. Okay, for those 
who have attended my D2 class last year, you have probably heard me mention chiasm many times. And you will find how, how, and how to find the main team, the sub-team, and so forth and so on. Of course, the main team is always in the middle. So let us today focus on the Abraham's narrative. Did the two lies have any significance in the whole story? Well, yes, according to Bible scholar Bruce Wolke, who wrote Genesis, a commentary. That's the book. Now, today I'm going to try to use the hamburger analogy to give you an idea of what is it. So the main theme or the juicy party of the passage in the covenant of God that, that God made together with Abraham about Ishmael and Isaac, that is found in the middle, or if you can see it properly, your eyes is uh, F. Sandwiched between these episodes involve Sodom and his nephew Lord, which is E. The next level of topping is the going and into and freeing of Sodom, that's D. Further out, ah, that's the place we want to touch on, the lies, which is the source for today. Topping out with the bun will be the start and climax of Abraham's spiritual odyssey, A and B. In other words, from this context, lies play a big part in the big picture. So the question for today, how did Abraham lie to both Pharaoh and Abimelech and seems to get away with it? There are many explanations and arguments that have been written. I will just talk about three of them and attempt to answer the question, did Abraham and Isaac get away with lies? First, the most popular explanation to the context of that time is Abraham thought that it was okay to lie as preserving life was important. So the response, well, first in the case of Aram and Pharaoh, it seems that the life Aram was trying to protect was his own rather than his wife, and further by concealing information that would have been customarily provided, Aram implied that he was not married to Sarai. He used the literal truth that they were related to imply an untruth. This action is analogous to our concept of sin of commission and sin of omission. Abraham's sin was that of one of omission. Not technically a lie, but it amounts to the same thing. In other words, Abraham already knew it was a lie, a lie to save his own skin. Second, in the case of Abimelech, why would Abimelech take a 90-year-old woman to be part of his harem? Interesting question. I agree with writer Christian Acosta who noted, quote, We do not find any mention in the story that Abimelech took her for her beauty. More than likely, marrying her would have been a sign of friendship and trust between him and the wealthy man Abraham. We can assume that Abimelech had political reasons for wanting to marry the sister of a prominent individual like Abraham. Abraham didn't believe God could work amidst a pagan people. When Abimelech asked Abraham why he lied to him, he comes right out and tells him the reason why. Because I thought surely the fear of God is not this place and they will kill me on my account 
or my wife, Genesis 20.11. He could have said, I wanted to protect my wife from your pagan people, but he did not say that. He knew his excuse was bogus. His reason for telling lies was simple, self-preservation. He only cared about himself and protecting his own life from harm. In some ways, I'm sure he thought his wife could benefit from this arrangement, but his chief concern was himself. End of quote. Frankly, in both situations, God had to step in to clear up the mess left by him, which highlights the covenantal faithfulness of God, which is the hazard that you learned last week. And frankly, Abraham did not seem to show any remorse. Therefore, Myth busted. It, it was not okay to lie during the time of Abraham. But rather, Abraham has shown himself to be selfish, sneaky, and deceptive. Now, what's more important? Abraham demonstrated to both Pharaoh and Abimelech that he wasn't fully trusting in God to protect him and felt the need to resort to clever deception. Now, what's the le- what are the lessons we can extract from our present situation that we have to deal with? For those who study Christian ethics in Bible colleges or even ethics, we have come across the following uh, use of lies in difficult situations involving innocent life. The problem stated, Nazi at the door, Jews in the basement. The question, one, do you tell the truth? Two, Lie, or three, say nothing, don't respond. Now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German theologian and martyr for his faith in God during Nazi Germany, feels that to be true, true to God in the deepest way means being obedient to God, not merely confronting, conforming to rules. He believes there are such certain situations where it is not only morally permissible to lie, but obedience to God requires it. And also, and so he lied, involving himself in deception after deception as he conspired against Hitler and Nazi and the Nazi in World War II. But as I mentioned, context is important. It was to save innocent life. Now I'd like to take an argue from Wayne Grudem in this article. Why is it never right to lie? An example of John's frame influence on my approach to ethics. By the way, these two gentlemen, they are a theology professor, and one of them happens to be a teacher, one of them is a student. Now, this is Wayne Grudem's proposed response. A fourth option is saying any of the hundred uh, different things that don't answer the question asked, such as, I will not cooperate with any attempt to capture and kill Jewish people. Yes, that may mean the Nazi soldiers will force their way in and search around, but they probably would have done it anyway. Who can, who can say that they would ever believe when the Christians say no? End of quote. So these two examples and views are for us to ponder. Let's move on to the second possibility on why Abraham acted the way he did. Two, Abraham was self-deceived that he can help God fulfill his destinies through lies. In other words, he somehow was helping God. 
Now, this seems like nonsense to most of you. How can one help God fulfill what God has promised? Well, we must remember Abraham was from the ancient Near East, originally from Mesopotamia, where one can find the worship of many different deities. Now, a famous tale during Abraham's time goes like this. It was discovered in 1800s called the Epic of Gilgamesh and that can shed light on why and what may have crossed Abraham's life, uh, mind. There was a story of the original flood within the, sto- uh, within the story and it mentions that deities were crying and needed humans to feed them food after the flood. It, it is not, it is not too fat, uh, uh, too fetch, too far fetch them. Deities and human had to cooperate with each other. It should also be noted that Abraham's concept of God was henotheism rather than monotheism that we're used to. This means that he believed in the worship of one supreme God without denying other gods existed. He may not have fully figured out that God can can do as he promised, and therefore self-deceive himself since he was having the old worldview of powerless deity. Well, I will cut Abraham some slack on the possibility of being self-deceived. However, saving his own skin is a more persuasive reason for the lies rather than being self-deceived. Self-deception it's an interesting phenomenon then as well as our present time. I think most of you will believe that you can be deceived by others but will never fall into the trap of self-deception or in colloquial English, own self, bluff own self. No way, right? Perhaps a little modern story can demonstrate the concept and the power of self-deception that only God can get out, can get you out. This is my personal story. It involves a sensitive subject, education. I grew up during the period when Singapore educational history focused on bilingualism was the absolute thing. Doing well both in English and second language at PSLE was necessary to get you into good secondary school. It is also a prerequisite for going to JC or pre-U and ultimately local university. For PSLE, both languages consist of 200% and math and science only 100%. At O level, one must pass second language to go to JC or pre-U. There is no pathway for polytechnic student to local university unless you are the cream of the crop. Now for me. At primary school level, I was not particularly good at languages, but was usually among the top few for both math and science. My language grades were decent enough to get me into a good secondary school. It starts with A, but it's not AC. Okay? At SEC4, we had the opportunity to clear our second language exam at mid-year so that we could focus on the other subject later on. On my first attempt, guess what I got? An unbelievable F9. The lowest grade possible. I could never imagine it. Even my Chinese teacher gave me that strange look. 
puzzled that day and when he announced the results. I was the worst in the cohort, worse than my Indian schoolmate who were doing Chinese. I thought it was just some fluke mistake by MOE. Maybe they messed up my student number. I just had to study harder. No big deal. Then came the real second time trial, the real O-level. Make it and you go JC or pre-U. Fail and the only pathway is to poly or IT equivalent of the day. Guess what I got this time? S8. You can say my man, my mind was overrive mode that day and my conclusion was MOE and by extension, the government conspired to somehow fail me so that there was no local university path for me. That to me was the logical explanation. No other ways about it. I swore that day I would, when I received the result that I would never speak a word of Mandarin again, nor have anything to do with the second class Chinese culture Meaning, no songs, no TV, no movie, that's Chinese. If someone speaks to me in Mandarin, I will simply reply in Hokkien, as that's my way to show contempt for the second language policy. Okay? Mandarin was such a stupid language to me. I went to complete my poly, NS, and university overseas without speaking Mandarin for over eight years. What a bliss! of not speaking Mandarin and sticking to my premise, it was the government's fault that conspired to fail me. However, my mental torment was about to start and it came immediately after getting my university final result. There would be nights when suddenly I woke up, what seems to be like panic attack because I dreamt that I had to pass Chinese to finish university or find work or be sacked if I failed Chinese at O-level again. It was not too often, but frequent and intense enough over a couple of years. I tried to ignore it without success. I know it was not natural, but hey, no big deal. It's not something like PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. I was keeping to myself imposed no Mandarin reply when spoken to policy. And even when I started working, I had to find creative ways to get around it. Such was life. During the early 90s, I came across a seminar called Breaking Bondages by Neil Anderson. I thought that was about Holy Spirit and spiritual warfare against demonic and signed up for it since it was an interesting topic. It was not exactly what I had in mind. There was a portion of teaching about lies and being entrapped by them. The thought of failing O-level Chinese came to my mind. The speaker, Neil Anderson, spoke of releasing such captive thoughts. And I must say, I grudgingly acknowledge and confess that it was my failing and not some conspiracy that caused me to fail Chinese at O-level. To cut the story short, it was not an instantaneous healing type, like some substance abuse situation that we heard of. I started to loosen my tongue, to, to use Mandarin and embrace speaking of Mandarin. I was more like P2 level, primary 2 level. It took some years for dreams and consequence of failing Chinese to gradually go away.
beware of self-deception. This can also happen to Christian. That was my personal story of living and breaking with self-deception. If you have such an issue and you're dealing with it, there's a newer version of the course that I mentioned by the same speaker, Neil Anderson. It's called Steps to Freedom, which DNN in our church runs regularly. regularly. And the next one is Saturday. If you feel you need to attend this, please talk to one of the staff and we, or you can drop a note on the website on the future run and we'll get back to you. Let's move on. Third situation concerning Abraham's lying way. Abraham did not foresee that his lies will have consequence on his family. Now here are some responses. First, let us look at the easy one. Bible scholar Gordon Wilhelm, in his textbook as used by TTC, he noted, Abraham's economy with truth does not seem to have quite a dire consequence as comparing to Jacob. But it does seem to slow down the conception of Isaac, which was the main focus of Abraham's hope. End of quote. So in his critique, the direct consequence of lie resulted in delay of 14 years to the birth of Isaac. Next, Gregory Brown, pastor, teacher, author, quote, One thing, one of the things we must be aware of during trials is the consequence of sin. Consequences of sin never affect, just affects us. Abraham's sin affects his wife and his future as the ill-conceived well brought great pains and sorrow. He further noted, In addition, we should remember that Abraham's propensity to lie was passed down to his son Isaac, who also lied about his wife in Genesis 26, and also his grandson Jacob, who swindled his brother Esau birthright in Genesis 27. Ten of Jacob's sons sold his son Joseph into slavery, slavery and lie about it for years. There were further, these are further consequences of Abraham's sin. Our sin often affects our children. End of quote. So the consequence in Abraham's case was down to having four generations of liars. And not forgetting that Isaac was also lied to by his wife in regards to his son Jacob. And to validate the consequences of lies can pass down to generation, we have the view of women scholar from another, con from another, from another continent, the Reverend Gesila Uzuku from Nigeria, in a paper, Like Father, Like Son, the woman as a bargaining object in Genesis 21 to 18 and Genesis 21 to 11. And, he, and she quote, and Abraham and Isaac were once in position of decision-making. Their decision to pass their wives as sisters were choice made based on challenges of that time. Later did they know that their actions would have consequence for generations to, to after them. Sometimes we can be blinded by narrow focus on the reality of our time 
And in the process, we make decisions that may later generate or cause havoc, not only to ourselves, but also to the generations that will come after us. End of quote. So yes, there are consequences for Abraham and Isaac, and even it may not be apparent then. The impact maybe to in the next generation is also the lesson that we need to understand that applies to us in our time. Lies may have long-term effect. In conclusion, Abraham may have thought that he was helping God fulfill the covenant. His lies revealed that he was sneaky and trying to save his skin. In the process, caused generational issues and behavior which were later repeated by Isaac, Jacob, and even the ten sons of Jacob. What's the takeaway from the passage that's applicable for us today? We live in a world, plenty of fake, half-truth, and plain lies which we have to deal with. And we ought to be conscious that lies means a lack of full trust in God when dealing with difficult situations. Lies can take many forms, and one of them is self-deception, which we could deal if we choose to. Lies have consequences, even down to the next generation. Think first and be aware of the story of Abraham and Isaac. Come, let us pray. Lord, as we reflect on what we have heard and learned today, reveal to us the truths that you want us to adopt. Help us to know the consequences of lies, as well as lies that we may have lived or perpetuate that we need to confess. We pray that as we live under the shadow of your grace, you lift you us to face this deception. In Jesus' name, amen.